Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. (laughs) Welcome back. This is number 66. Yeah, we're not exactly on a weekly schedule. We're we're going to stop like apologizing. Every other week or like we'll do two weeks and then have a week off. So, you know, life is chaotic as we all know. So here we are. So today is cocaine. Today we're doing cocaine. And I apologize ahead of time if you hear like running loud elephant noises. We are in my crazy storage room basement and my children are upstairs. So, yes, yeah, it's crazy. They uh, they frown on tying kids up. <clears throat> Excuse me. They 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 do, but it's better than the. You know, we can't like sedate them so that they're quiet upstairs. That's illegal. Yeah, chemical restraints not legal. But anyway, back to cocaine <laughs> could also be considered a chemical restraint. Okay, so the the fancy name is benzylmethyl econogyne. 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 Anyway. Econogyne. Why do we stumble with these words? I don't know, because no one uses them except fancy, smart people in labs. So cocaine. So the history of cocaine, I mean, some of this people know. Some of it I found very interesting when I was looking it up. But it is the oldest, most potent, and actually most dangerous stimulant of natural origin. Mm. Yeah. It's been used since I was a kid by the Incas. In 3000 BC. In the Andes. Yeah, so they would chew on the leaves, and I think everybody knows that. That was kind of a common thing, kind of to get their heart racing and, you know, counter the effects of kind of living in that mountain air. I mean, that's kind of brilliant. I mean, if you think about it, back in the day where they didn't, like, understand a lot of this science stuff. It's kind of like during the um, Tour de France back in the 30s, they would smoke cigarettes to get their heart rate up before they hit the mountain phase. Before they realized this was not helping their lungs? Yes. Okay. Anyway, then the native Peruvians would chew during religious ceremonies to the leaves of the cocoa plant. And then when the Spanish soldiers invaded Peru in 1532, they actually would put the Indian laborers in these silver mines and they would make sure there was like a huge supply of the leaves because it was easier to control their slaves and exploit them. Nice. So So finally... In 1859, a German chemist by the name of Albert Nyman. It'd be Nieman. Nieman? It's German. Okay. Because like Sieben, my maiden name is I-E. Sieben, Nieman. Okay. So he isolated it from the leaves. That's when like the real cocaine came yeah. out. So then it became very popular in the medical community in the 1880s. And then everybody's favorite, everybody. I mean, if you don't love Sigmund Freud, I don't know if you've ever taken a psychology class in your life. So he personally used a ton of cocaine and he usually, and he actually would prescribe it to patients and he would promote it as a tonic to clear their, or to cure their depression and their sexual impotence. And he actually wrote an article in 1884 called Uber, you know, it's supposed to have the U thingy above it, Uber Coca, which stands for about Coke, which promoted the magical substance benefits. Nice. But unfortunately, he did see the dark side of it, and he had a friend who suffered paranoid hallucinations and saw a bunch of white snakes creeping around. So, you know, there were some people that had trouble with it. It wasn't Um, like everybody did 
perfectly well with it. Yeah, and he actually accidentally killed a patient by giving him a high dose. Dang. I know. So then we move ahead to 1886. John Pemberton is where, I mean, if you've ever been to Atlanta, you have to go to the Coca-Cola factory in place. They actually have a huge vault. I mean, it's... We were there. It's pretty, like, elaborate and amazing in the huge Coca-Cola place and the museum. They have a huge, like, secure vault with the actual original recipe of Coca-Cola. Allegedly. Right. So John Pemberton from Coca-Cola Company included cocoa leaves in as an ingredient and thus Coca-Cola. Yeah, and it was a hot seller. Hot seller. So really between 1850 and then the 1900s, you know, there was all kinds of different elixirs that had cocaine and opium in it. And, and again, you'd see that in the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was used by really all classes of people from upper to lower class. Uh, even Thomas Edison and actress Sarah Bernard. And again, these were this was considered okay. It was like you could just go buy it. Right. So then in 1903, unfortunately, is when Coca-Cola had to remove the coca plant, coca leaves, cocaine from the recipe. So no, you are not going to go to anywhere and get Coca-Cola and have cocaine in it still. And then they realized shortly thereafter that there were about 5,000 cocaine-related deaths in just the previous year. So this is kind of when the the world stopped to to take note of it. Yeah, and it was banned. And it became a Schedule II drug eventually in in the U.S., as you know. And, of course, it kind of made a comeback 50 years later, kind of emerged as a a drug that entertainers and business people would use. It was kind of hip, if you will, kind of like me, kind of hip. Yeah, so when Kurt was in college in the 70s and 80s. I was never in college in the 70s. But you were in the 80s. Okay. Yes, I was just born. Anyway, so university student use actually increased tenfold in that one decade. Wow. So, But it was in the 70s when, so of course this was banned in 1922, but in the 70s is when Colombian traffickers made this huge elaborate network to smuggle cocaine into the U.S. We've seen those movies. We've seen a lot of those movies. <laughs> yeah. And so, again, traditionally kind of a rich man's drug, of course, in the in the 80s, kind of, kind of by late teen, let me start it over. It was a rich man's drug in the early 1900s. Yeah. But then, of course, in the 1980s was more linked with a group of, People that were more poverty stricken, you know, kind of the different groups like that. And well, this is where the war on drugs came from, was with cocaine. And this is where a lot of the disparities in the incarcerated people in the US became the lower income, income, BIPOC, um, Native American population. What happened is crack cocaine, if you got caught with that, you got major jail time. Mm -hmm. But if you had regular old cocaine and you were a Caucasian, you just didn't go to jail. Right. So that was kind of a big issue back then. So if you go back into the early 1990s, how much these Colombian drug cartels, they were producing and exporting 500 to 800 tons a year um, just into the U.S. <laughs> and this was dismantled at the, by the end of the 90s. But oh, there's still, allegedly, allegedly, but there's still 300 known operations still today. So, I mean, 300 different you can go to the DEA website and they can show you the lines of where the traffickers are located. But I just had a patient told me where you can get it and where you can't get it in this state. There you it's go. It's kind of interesting. So we'll get to that, but I mean, it's super flipping expensive. Yeah. By 2008, of course, this was the second most trafficked illegal drug in the world. I wonder if marijuana would be the number one. Yes. It was. So what is cocaine? So it's a stimulant drug that comes from the cocoa plant, as we've already said, in South America. The plant. And how does it work? Erythrocylum coca. 
So the, the basic is it increases your dopamine. So dopamine, of course, is the feel-good hormone. And so it prevents the natural dopamine from getting re-uptaken. Recycled. Recycled. So brought back into the cells. So it causes dopamine buildup between the nerve cells and then therefore causing like the normal cell communication and all of that to go down. So you have this excess of the feel-good hormone. That was a long explanation, but in general, it just stops the normal cell communication. But the whole thing is it's dopamine. Well, it's assuming that you had normal cell communication to begin with. So you'd be just fine taking it. Probably. (laughs) Wouldn't notice a thing. All right. Again, it's a fine white crystal powder. Again, comes in much different types of... uh, so this is substances, yeah. Yeah, so this is the cocaine, like the powdery cocaine. Yep. So you snort it typically. But the high only lasts about 15 to 30 minutes. It's very fast acting. You can rub it into your gums. You can dissolve it and inject it. We'll get to some of that later. Um, and then the difference, like what you just said with crack. So it's the rock form. Yep, called crack cocaine. And, of course, it kind of refers to the crackling sound when it's heated. So they call it crack cocaine and some some take that and they'll sprinkle it on marijuana we've actually seen patients who had didn't know they had cocaine mm-hmm. in their system uh and it was probably in their marijuana uh it just makes it sell better yeah so the crack the free base is usually the one that's injected because it melts all the way versus the cocaine doesn't break down all the way correct i believe so this high only lasts five to ten minutes so but why do people use it like why do you like why do people like cocaine so it it does again act very quickly um it actually one of the stuff i didn't write in here is that people like it because it also the high is quick so it it hits you quick and it goes away quickly so you're still able to sleep all night as opposed to post amphetamines people don't like it as it's way cheaper so people prefer that but amphetamines using meth you're awake for days and so people will use crack because then they can still sleep Interesting. But, so it basically, again, blocks the reuptake of dopamine, but it also blocks the reuptake of serotonin and norepi, which is kind of con- the serotonin really contributes to that, um, the rush and that euphoria and the self-confidence, vigilance, the whole feeling of well-being. But then the norepi component is where you get a lot of the bad side effects. Now, do you talk in here how you extend the yes. effect? Okay. Yes. I didn't know if that was in here. It's in here. So... We're not there yet. (laughs) And, of course, it boosts your self-confidence, vigilance, and well-being. I did say that. You did? I did. Okay. Just to make sure we all heard that, this is why people use it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the mechanism of action. Okay, I love this. Yeah, and, you know, I remember it's been a while uh, when I was in medical school, an ENT. I did. My ENT rotation was, what, 2008? And, And they had... A local anesthetic there, a spray-on local anesthetic, and it was cocaine. Oh, I remember very mm-hmm. distinctly. They would, like, take this gauze, put it in this liquid cocaine, and then shove it up their nose. Yep. So it's used a ton in ENT procedures. Yeah, although it was it was bittered to to make people not like it. it or at least when I was there, it was a, had a bitter... Well, they only ever used it in the OR. Yeah, they had a bitter... No, they used it in a spray in the out, oh, outpatient. No, they wouldn't do that. They'd always mm-hmm. use something else, but... So how it works topically is it blocks that norepi, like we talked about, which causes vasoconstriction and anesthesia. So it helps numb that area, which is why the spray would be advantageous if they weren't mm-hmm. sleeping. But if you think about ENT surgeries, your nose and throat surgeries, they're heavy vascular areas. So this kind of prevents that excess bleeding, prevents the action potential, blah, blah, blah. But there's actually this 
they call it something, this Von, Von Williams, Williams class 1C effect. So it increases the risk of conduction disturbance and tachyarrhythmias. So even when using ENT procedures, it can still cause some cardiac issues. So keep an eye on the monitor is what you're saying? Keep an eye on the monitor, and then we will have contraindications coming when you shouldn't use cocaine. Ah, so it also binds and blocks monoamines. Yeah. Okay. So the reuptake transporters uh, really with equal affinity. So, you know, that's another thing to think about. Um, it accumulates in the synaptic cleft, resulting in enhanced and prolonged sympathetic effects. Right. And so we'll kind of get to some of the treatments of, that have to do with helping people who have like OD'd on cocaine. So mm. again, like the half-life is super short. Um, but it does have some FDA approvals. Really? So ENT procedures. That's yeah. This is why it's a class, a Schedule 2 and not a Schedule 1 like marijuana because it does have some medicinal purposes. Mm. So um, ENT procedures, and then they sometimes, not as often anymore, but in the 80s and 90s they did this. They would use it um, like topically to help with people like – they needed their pick lines changed or they needed blood draws and they were having, you know, cancer or terminal disease, they would use it that way too. Mm. There you go. There are side effects and there's quite no. a list. It's interesting because when you look at some of the side effects, the constricted blood vessels is a lot of times what you're going for, mm-hmm. especially in the procedures. But I think it's interesting the dilated pupils because <sighs> we always tell students, you know, if they have dilated pupils, it's probably a benzo or they're in withdrawal. Right? The problem is, is yes. But cocaine. Cocaine. And this was a huge warning on one of the places I saw. Do not accidentally like puff, like exhale. Like if you're about to snort cocaine, a line of cocaine, don't accidentally exhale and have the powder fly up because if it gets in your eyes, it can cause severe corneal damage and blindness. No way. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, okay. So it also increases your body temperature, blood pressure, heart rate, again, and can cause those tachyarrhythmias and all those things like that. Some people get very irritable on it and paranoid. So, you know, again, not everyone has the same response. Right. So a mild, what you'd call side effect is as opposed to that just euphoria, you get anxious, restless, but severe overdoses especially can cause tonic-clonic seizures, CNS depression, and then this whole stimulation of the central nervous system. So the tachycardia, the tachyarrhythmias, this is where the, the strokes and heart attacks come in because it can cause coronary and cerebral artery vasoconstriction and then hyperthermia because all your peripheral blood vessels are constricting and so your normal like sweating stuff doesn't happen. And I don't think that that's really predictable. That's, Correct. No, it's, it's like it's, Russian roulette. Right. Um, it's usually dose dependent, but... Most people will use cocaine. They'll use it, and then as it's wearing off, within an hour or two, they'll use more, and then in an hour or two, they'll use more, and then we'll talk about that in a minute, but these binges. Mm. And so they typically, typically, not saying go use it one time, but typically a lot of this is that cumulative effect. Mm. So when we look at long-term issues with this, well, I think it's a lot like many of the stimulants. You're going to see people look malnourished, weight loss, Although, again, when we look at addiction, and I don't know that you have this in here, it's not highly addictive. Most people binge. Correct. So, you know, for the most part, if people are using it on a weekend, um, on the weekends, you may not see that malnourishment. But it does decrease the appetite, occasionally causes odd things like uh, movement disorders. Yeah, people who've used it for years and years and years. The paranoia, the auditory hallucinations, and then depending on how people are using it. So if you're snorting it, which is the most, typically probably the most common, 
you can lose your sense of smell, more runny noses, nosebleeds, difficulty with swallowing. And even people on the sites that I will get to said even like their first time, like the post-nasal drainage was dang near intolerable. Like it just, Mm. it was just annoying as heck. Yeah. And then of course, a lot of people are smoking the crack and they'll get some of the respiratory distress, asthma. I get a patient who keeps ending up in the ER with that kind of thing. Um, and of course, if they use it orally, uh, you can get that, uh, you know, severe bowel dis- decay from that reduced blood flow. I yeah. mean, that's again, vasoconstriction. Well, it's like your patient that was using it rectally. Yep. So, I mean, yes, mucous membranes, it's going to absorb, but it, it can be very bad if in your GI tract. It didn't go well. Right. And then if you're injecting it, it's the same kind of IV drug use risks, the hep C, bloodborne diseases, HIV, soft tissue infections. And then you can get a lot more scarred and collapsed veins. So these will be the people who literally have no veins and not just from years of use, but just even one time it can totally scar down veins. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at some of the things like HIV infection or other infections, I think we, we've talked before about how opioids affect the immune system, cocaine as well. Mm-hmm. And so it can speed up how infections affect the body. Right. I'm not going to go into the overdose risk, the symptoms, because that was kind of that same as the long-term and the severe um, the seizures, strokes, heart attacks are the big things in the tachyarrhythmias. But how do you treat it? So if you have cardiovascular toxicity agitation, so, um, you know, you're going to use benzos. This would be not really cardiovascular. This is more neuro. Um, you're going to use benzos because you need to decrease that sympathetic outflow. So you're going to kind of calm them down, just decrease <laughs> that excitation. Sometimes people will need Haldol, Olanzapine, especially the people who are extremely overheating, seizuring, um, if they just have the cardiac stuff, you're not going to necessarily jump to the benzos. You're going to do some other things. So Yeah. It's interesting with the tachyarrhythmias, you know, giving them lidocaine. Severe tachy. Lidocaine and IV lipid emulsions. Crazy. Can you imagine? No. No. Can't. Gross. Glad okay. I'm not in the ER. So if you're like in the people who need to remember the dihydropyrene and the non-dihydropyrene, dihydropyrene calcium channel blockers. You do not want to use the dihydro. You want to avoid those. So that's like your nifedipine because it's only a partial blockade. Calcium uh, channel blockers. So, so you can get actually get more tachycardia. Tachy. But using the uh, the non-dihydropyrene, so your diltiazem verapamil can reduce your hypertension, but it's not necessarily going to help the tachy. So as long as they're in a regular rhythm, if it's primarily a blood pressure effect you're noticing, you could use that. But they've kind of given you your first gold standard of what you should be using as your beta blocker, labetalol. Labetalol, slow her down. Unopposed alpha. Unopposed. Well, it's Hmm. a mixed beta alpha blocker. Huh. So that's interesting. So contradictions to putting a soaked piece of gauze in in somebody's nose for an ear, ear, nose, and throat procedure would be what? An elderly human (laughs) with hypertension or cardiovascular. So it's really, I I mean, what's what's elderly? Be careful. You know, again, this is one I wouldn't actually even make fun of you with because it's a person. I I probably wouldn't recommend this on anybody who had significant hypertension or cardiovascular disease, whether you're 25 or 65. You know, if Mm. you've got, there's other things that can be used now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Mm, How about if Uh, I'm pregnant? Yeah, so it was interesting. I was like, why am I going to talk about pregnancy? Because people who are using it when they're pregnant typically will have a lot of placental infarctions, will have preterm labor, can have 
more miscarriages. I mean, again, we're talking vasoconstriction going into the uterus and placenta. But as far as what it does to the baby, it's in the old category rating, it was a category C because we don't know if it can cause direct fetal harm because most of the harm comes because you end up delivering preterm or losing the baby. So it's interesting that if you go on the street and you buy a little cocaine, it can have a lot of other stuff in it. Yeah. Cornstarch, talcum powder, flour. Flour? Well, at least it's healthy. <laughs> I don't really want wet flour in my veins. Have you ever mixed that up on the stove? That's how you make glue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Amphetamines, you know, synthetics, opioids. My favorite one of all time is, though, the um, sheetrock. Ah, but here's the funny thing. I just had a patient uh, who was using methamphetamine, and her urine showed fentanyl and cocaine positive. Yeah. And uh, she was quite surprised. You know, it's interesting because most people aren't going to cut cocaine into something cheaper. But it makes it, I, I think it's like making it feel better. So It hits faster yeah. than if you just use straight meth. She was like completely stunned that what she, what she had actually used. So, well, and, and of course. I read, I mean, this is like a repeat of what we already talked about. But I yeah. think my favorite statement I read was like, you're getting more of more. Like these are. These are your people who go cliff jumping, who do freebasing. Like they, they can't they, get enough endorphins. Rushed, right. Yep. So those people, that's just I say those people. I have bungee jumps. So, so I suppose we're going to have to talk about cocaine and sex because that's on the list. Well, this is the culture. This is the culture from you know the entertainment days, the 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 fifties, sixties, seventies. It was all about cocaine and sex. So really, why it was this? Per, you boost your perception of your performance. And it amplifies your positive emotions of the actual experience because, but on the flip side, it actually can cause a lot lower your inhibitions and decision making. So cocaine, especially back in those days, was often part of, you know, sexual abuse situations. Um, So, but it can increase your sexual desire and drive. I like the next one. You can say that. Yeah, one. and the longer orgasms that are more intense. And I, I have had. I patients, was going to say the whole performance is godlike, uh, and heightened feelings. But I have, I have had patients who that this is why they took it, and and they would take it all weekend, at a party, a long weekend party. Well, it. I mean, uh, this is used a lot at brothels. I mean, it's public knowledge. I mean, Lamar Odom, like this is what he almost died from when he had his strokes because he was at a brothel in Vegas and. Mm. And then cocaine and alcohol, which we'll get to. Not aware of that. Yeah. So like we've kind of talked about several day binge, then a crash. Um, now, what happens to people who will go on a several day binge like this and crash is then they'll have the several days of this thing, this enthymia, which is when their normal feelings come back and it's almost like they never used it. Mm. But for people who've been doing this with somewhat frequency over years and years, Within a week to several days, they'll have that craving. They'll want that feeling back. And then all of a sudden, their normal, whatever, daily life and energy will start to decrease. And they'll have more depression and less energy. Wow. And then over a month is where they get more cravings and depression because they want that back. And that's where they will relapse. Mm, crazy. You know, I'm really amazed at uh, what percentage of people in the U.S. older than 12 have used it in their lifetime. It's almost 15%. Almost 15 but there's only 0.7% current users with who've used it a month. And this is, again, people are going to pay occasionally. We'll just use it, you know, once a year, you know, when they go on vacation or whatever. So 
Wow. Anyway. And, and our favorite topic, cocaethylene. You should talk about oh. cocaethylene. You love this one. I do. It's, it's a board question. It's just amazing. The one we catch all the medical students on. <laughs> so here's the, and we have seen this in our practice where we have people who use cocaine and use a lot of alcohol. And the reason is, of course, that cocaethylene is formed in the liver when you mix these two things. And it it enhances it. It, it lasts longer. Uh, so you get the much longer high and euphoria. Uh, and so it's, it's, I think a lot of people end up doing that and they don't know why they're doing it. Right. Uh, but of course the street lore I think is drink with it. Right. The, the big, <laughs> the big problem. I mean, it's, well, there's com- a problem. it's, it's, it's a little all a bit problem. of like a weird thing to say, but the bigger, the bigger, more severe problem is that it's an 18 to 25 fold increase over cocaine alone in the risk of immediate death, like immediate, even your first time use. Dang. So don't do that. Okay, street names. I have a whole page. We're not going to go through them all because oh, some of Can them, we pick out our favorites? Let's check out the fam- favorites. You know, so, I don't see blow on here. It's on here. Oh, it is. There it is. Yep. Blow. Big C. Nose candy, I've heard. Snow. Um, Paradise White, I've heard big that. Big Flake. A line. I've never heard that. Yeah. Anyway, now I love this. I mean, I loved it. This is always funny to say weird things. So if you mix cocaine with other drugs, now we all know what a speedball is. I didn't even put it on here. We all we all know what a speedball is. It's when you take heroin and cocaine together. That's a speedball. When you mix cocaine and PCP, they call it space or whack. Mm. And with marijuana, a bazooka. A bazooka. Mm. Oh, but here's another one. I said speedball already yeah. with heroin. Another name for it is Belushi. Yeah, that's sad. And Bombita. And then with fentanyl, dirty fentanyl, and takeover. Yeah, and again, I just saw that. Mm -hmm. Some of these fentanyl, cocaine, and meth. Okay, so just a few Arrowhead Reddit experiences. I kind of mentioned already people don't necessarily... I mean, people who tried it, they're like, eh, it wasn't the... I mean, it was good, but it's not something I'm, like, needing to do again. But most of those people were people who had already used meth in the past. And so it gives this rush up, and then they can sleep. But... um, Arrowhead, you get a rush from every line because they'll do one line, wait, and then use another one in an hour. Are you going to read any of these? No. Not, no, I said, I like the one that says, I almost felt like I was glowing. <laughs> Worn tingly sensation, invigorated yet comfortable. Time speeds up and slows down at the same time. And then one person who had not used... Um, cocaine in like three years that I miss it a lot. I miss the excitement of having that carefree wild night filled with joy and euphoria. That wasn't real. Well, it, it it was, it was fake euphoria and joy, but it still was in the moment. It still felt real. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think in the people that we see that cocaine has kind of made a comeback. Um, didn't see a lot of it Mm-mm. Three, four years Long ago. Long time, no. Yeah, and now I think we see it a little more frequently, especially uh, to our south. Well, and again, more expensive even still, but I think, you know, if I were to guess why maybe it's come back is, I mean, think about during COVID, getting fentanyl into our country and getting some of these the things into the country was hard, whereas these Mexican cartels are brilliant and... You know, cocaine was easier to bring. But if you ever watch that one show on TV where they, like, show the cartels, fancy ways of getting into our country, man. But, yeah. But, yeah, has made kind of a comeback. So. So that's all we have. Anyway, that's it. That was cocaine in a nutshell, so to speak. <laughs> or whatever. Or whatever. All right. Well, we will let Battle Legs take over, and we will chat at you, hopefully, next, next week. week.
We'll see. Michael's out on the corner. His wife has caught him again. He's sitting in beautiful sunshine, drinking a mugful of gin. I ask him where his shoes went. He's lost them in the snow. His wife has locked him outside for Vicodin and blow. a beautiful cocktail and fall asleep on the quay. Michael, the cops are asking for all the places you've been. Your bookie wants his money, pills and whiskey and gin. To Ralu-Ralu-Ra, Michael's at it again. To Ralu-Ralu-Ra, pills and whiskey and gin. To Ralu-Ralu-Ra, Michael's at it again. To Ralu-Ralu-Ra, pills and whiskey and gin. Pills and whiskey and gin. Michael, your wife is asking if you are locked away But she should come out and see That it's such a wonderful day He looks me in the eyes And for a moment is quiet and sad A single teardrop falls from his eye Thanks for paying me tab Michael's at it again. To Ralu, Ralu, 